You are listening to Cornelia Church. Passion for God, compassion for people. All right. Good morning. God is good. All the time. Boy, it's good to see you guys this morning. My name's Andrew. We're going to continue our series that we started last week uh, on dreams called uh, Dream Bigger. And we are talking about how God is the dream giver. He has a dream for each of our lives, and we have to be uh, participants in that. We have to actually embrace what he has given to us uh, and then begin to run with it. And our response to God's dream, of course, can be we can try to control it or we can try to squelch it or we can actually pursue it. And whether we're 20 or whether we're 80 today, wherever you are in your life, God is still working with you, and he wants you to dream. Not just your dream, he wants you to dream his dream uh, for your life. And so we're going to continue that uh, series this morning. But before we we do that, I just want to talk to you for a moment, if I can, uh, just kind of make some pastoral comments. Uh, This week has been an interesting week. Uh, this, this pandemic and all of the stuff that's going on, is, man, it just continues to be wild. Have you noticed? It's just we are living in an interesting, interesting time. And I want to talk specifically this morning, and I want to talk pastorally. I'm not trying to make uh, a political statement. I'm not trying to make uh, a, a thing that would convince you one way or the other. But I want to talk specifically about the vaccinations for a few minutes this morning because of the mandate that has gone out to all the healthcare workers in California. How many of you guys are healthcare in the healthcare industry and that affects you? Okay, there's a good number of you here this morning. And of course, now t- teachers and schools and are, are coming close to that. And there's a lot of employers that are mandating uh, the vaccines. And it just is really challenging, right? And so healthcare workers in particular, I want to talk to you guys, but maybe you're in that boat in terms of the vaccination. Maybe you're just worried about it. So I want to talk to you pastorally for a moment. Uh, and I'm not trying to convince you one way or the other about vaccines being good or bad. Or, you know, I just want to talk to you about how, as a believer, as a follower of Christ, you could walk through this. Uh, and, and I want to give you some confidence, and I want to hopefully speak some hope and faith into you, because I know there's a lot of fear and a lot of concern right now uh, about the vaccines. Um, and, uh, and boy, it's just, it's just difficult. I never thought as a pastor that I would have to navigate this moment uh, where people are asking me to sign a letter to say, you know, that they have a legitimate religious exemption to receiving a vaccine. When, when, when I mean, that's just a new, that's a new thing. Never, never, never knew that. They didn't ever told me that in seminary when I was going to have to sign up for that. So, um, but it's, it's a real thing that, that we're dealing with. And so, I just want to tell you this morning that um, the way that we address, so the way that we walk through life, uh, as believers in Christ is often the opposite of the way that the rest of the, it should be opposite of the way the, the rest of the world walks through life. And, and the, one of the main things that we do as Christians, the, the main things that we carry is that we have to understand our identity. And our identity as believers is actually lambs to the slaughter. And that's what it says in Scripture throughout the Old Testament and New Testament, is that we, as a matter of fact, are following Jesus. He went to the cross. He was the lamb that went to the cross to give himself for us. That we as Christians, the way that we carry things, the way that we walk through life, our power is found in our weakness. It's not found in our anger or in our rebellion or our refusal. Uh, and, and that's just something that we carry as believers. So the way that we walk through the season, as in any season, is really important. And we have to understand that, um, uh, that when we embrace the nature of Christ, we're embracing humility and submission. 
and that goes against everything oftentimes that's inside of us, and it's a very difficult thing. Uh, and, and so specifically, I want to say a couple things to you if you're struggling with a vaccine, because I know there's so many concerns, uh, you know, so many rumors, so many different things, and there's a lot of fear. Uh, and I want to tell you, first of all, that God is not a God of fear. He doesn't give us a spirit of fear. Uh, and so whatever decision that you are making, perhaps you have to receive it because you're going to lose your job otherwise, but you're fearful about it. I just want to say to you, receive it if you need to receive it by faith, right? By faith, because the currency of the kingdom is by faith. Uh, and when, when we submit to things sometimes that we don't like, we don't understand, we don't want, but we're doing it by faith in him, he honors us and he honors our faith and he covers us. And so, for example, if you claim Psalms 91 uh, against the virus, you can claim Psalms 91 against the vaccine if you need to, okay? <laughs> right? It works both ways. Uh, if God's going to protect you, he's going to protect you. Uh, Mark 16, 18, if you need a verse to claim, when they jab that thing in your arm and you're nervous about it, Mark 16, 18 says they will drink no deadly poison. It will do no harm to them, okay? So God is a God who is, he loves you. He's overseeing what's going on and he's going to care for you. Now, I want to tell you a couple things. Number one, I don't think that the vaccine is the mark of the beast. Okay? It's not. It's not. Um, you, you, they're not going to, like, be able to sneak the mark of the beast on you. It's not the way that it works. It's like it's, it's taking stuff totally out of context. So, uh, so it's not the mark of the beast. I want to tell you, I've been vaccinated. My wife has not. And there is disagreement in our house about how we feel about that. And we're still talking. <laughs> And we still love one another. We're not, we're not getting close to divorce, okay? Uh, but we have differing opinions. Now, my wife's in healthcare, and she's about to lose her job if she refuses to take the vaccine. Uh, so I told her, babe, I need your check. You better take that vaccine. Uh, and of course, as a good woman, she said, well, yes, sir, anything you want. Um, don't work like that in my house, guys. Don't work like that in my house. So, um, so we're wrestling through it. So we're wrestling through it, and, and, it's, and it's, a, it, it's not an easy thing, and I just want to acknowledge it's not an easy thing. Uh, and I, I just want you to do what you do in faith, in peace, in humility. Now, I, and I remember what um, Jesus said to soldiers uh, when the soldiers asked him, what should we do? They were, in, they were confronting the gospel. They were confronting his message. And they basically were saying, these were soldiers that worked for the Roman Empire, right? An evil empire. And they're thinking, well, Jesus, does that mean we, we need to stand up against our commanders? We need to quit our jobs? We need to do it? And Jesus said, be good men, be good soldiers. Don't uh, abuse people and don't extort people uh, and, and, and move forward, right? And, and so sometimes you're told to do things or you are asked to do things that you're not so sure about. I mean, I can imagine that those soldiers had to do plenty of things that they were conflicted about. And, but Jesus said, be good. Don't extort, treat people right, move forward in humility, and God will watch over you. Uh, and so that's the word that I just want to encourage you with this morning. Because some of you are faced, man, you can't give up a paycheck. You don't have the liberty of just moving to another area. I understand that. So by faith, you do what you need to do, and God's going to cover you, okay? Now, I just want to take a second and pray uh, and, um, for all those who are faced with this decision, because it's not an easy one. Uh, and I know there's a lot of a lot of concerns. Just bow your head with me and let's lift up all the healthcare workers, everyone that's on the mandate. But we just pray for these that are struggling right now. We know there's so many 
pieces of information out there, so many disagreements, so many conflicting data points, so many arguments, Lord. And we're just, we want to do and walk as followers of Jesus. We want to be examples of who Christ is in the earth. We don't want to be taken out of the game. We don't want to be moved to the sidelines because of this or that, Lord. So we're just seeking you. And I pray for comfort, peace, and confidence for every person that's faced with this decision, Lord. And, and we just pray that there be no ill effects for those that take the vaccine, that are concerned about it, that your grace would be with them, and that your strength and favor would be all over your people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. okay. I didn't know if someone was going to shoot me, you know, I took the vaccine. All right. Let's talk about dreams for a moment. Uh, for the next few minutes, I just want to talk to you about dreams, and I want to talk to you about the process that God takes us through uh, in the dreams that he has for our life. And the message is entitled Dreams Delayed. Uh, and, and the process that we're going to talk about is one that you have experienced in your life and that you will experience in your life whenever it comes to a good thing that God's going to do in your life. Uh, and it's a process actually that God is taking you through to build your faith, uh, not only just to accomplish the dream, he, his work is actually in you. He's doing something inside of you. So if, I want to encourage you to take notes. Uh, we have notes in you version. Take out your Bible, take out your piece of paper, take out your phone, open up you version, however it is, under events tab is our notes for today. And we're going to talk about the phases of dreams that God takes us through as he builds our faith because he's more interested, I want you to hear this, God is actually more interested in building your faith than he is interested in you doing great things for him. As much as he has a dream for you and a dream for your life and, and he's going to do great things in you and through you, that really is about building you into a different kind of person, a person that looks more and more like Jesus. But we have to understand how to cooperate with him. Now, this is what uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8, 9, and 10 say. We do not, this is Paul speaking, the Apostle Paul, he says, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. Now, Paul is a man of God who has the call of God on his life. Talk about someone that has a dream, a God-given dream, to reach the Gentile nations of the world, to take the gospel outside of Jerusalem, outside of Israel, to the entire known world at that point. It was a God-given dream. God called him to the people. He told them, you're empowered as a guy that did miraculous things. It was, an, he had an amazing calling on his life, right? So you would think if God calls a person, he's going to provide for the person and he'll take care of the person. All those things are true, but it forgets sometimes that there's lots of difficulties that happen in the midst of that process. So he goes on to say, we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. Paul has a dream from the Lord. He carries it out. He's working out. He says, this stinks. Along the way, this is really difficult. There's like a pressure, there's a crushing, there's even the sentence of death that's on me, and yet it's God's dream, it's God's purpose, it's God's calling. And so we know that the things that God puts inside of us are going to confront difficulty. 
They're going to confront seasons where we're like, I don't feel it, I don't like it, I don't understand it, and yet Paul says the reason that's happening is because there's something that God is doing inside of us. The reason that's happening is because actually God is revealing himself to us and through us to the world, right? It says, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Part of the process of this life that we're going through is that God is looking for you to rely more on him than on yourself. Now, we're going to look uh, at, this, at a story in 2 Kings, uh, and if you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to turn there. We will have these verses on the screen. Uh, and as we look at this story in 2 Kings, we're going to look at the process of God building your faith and the process uh, uh, that dreams go through. Uh, and the story in 2 Kings chapter 4 is the story of Elisha, the prophet Elisha, and the Shunammite woman. The Shunammite woman is a woman from Shunem. Shunem is over there by Grangeville, I think. Um, <laughs> Someplace in Israel, Some, someplace, okay? Elisha is a great prophet. There's two, uh, actually the greatest prophets in the uh, Old Testament, uh, Elisha and Elijah. They did amazing things. They were men of God that did incredible miracles as they were traveling around and speaking the word of the Lord uh, to the nation uh, of Israel. And Elisha uh, is a man who travels. As he travels, of course, he goes uh, to different places. And there's a woman, he goes to a place called Shunem, and there's a woman who lives there who is a, a wealthy woman. And she decides, along with her husband, that they're going to provide a meal for Elisha whenever he's in town because they want to bless the man of God. And then as they do that, they, they grow, the, the dream that they have for him grows, and they actually provide then a room for him. They have a, a room in their house. It's an extra room that they set up just specifically for him that he can use whenever he's in the area, he can use that as a place to rest. And so they just kind of decide in their, in their hearts, as a man of God, he's traveling around, we want to do something good for him, we want to do something good for the Lord, so we're going to set aside this place for him. Uh, and that's, that's really the nature of our story. We're going to begin to read uh, how it proceeds from there. But I just want to make a comment about her faith and a comment about the dream that she had for doing something for the man of God, doing something for the kingdom of God. And I think this is a beautiful thing, and many times you have experienced that uh, in your life, that you, when you decide that you're going to do something for the Lord, you're going to do something for his kingdom, you're going to bless someone, you're going to set some money aside or some resources aside, you're going to give up your gifts or your talents, you're going to pour out into the kingdom in some way. There is something really beautiful about that that God then blesses. Sometimes nobody else knows about it. It's something that you decided to do, you and your spouse decided to do, you got together, you said, we want to bless the Lord in this way, and God loves it, and he honors it. And that's what this woman did. She, she said, you know what, We're, we just want to do something because we believe that this is a man of God. And that yeah, takes our story. That's where we're going to pick up our story in uh, chapter 4, verse 12. This is the first phase that we're going to talk about is the phase of the dream, the dream itself. All right, verse 12. He said to his servant Gehazi, this is Elisha speaking to Gehazi, call the Shunammite. So he called her and she stood before him. Elisha said to him, tell her you have gone to all this trouble for us. Now what can be done for you? Can we speak on your behalf to the king or the commander of the army? So Elisha's grateful for what this woman has done. She's provided for him a place to rest, you know, and, and so obviously he says, let's do something for her. Let's do something for this woman. And, and so he calls her and, and he, want, he asks her, what do you want? He, he asks, what's in your heart? Can I go to the king and ask him for a favor? Is there something that I can do? Now, 
Look and watch, see what she says. She replied, I have a home among my own people. Now that's a non-answer. If in case you just wonder what the heck kind of answer that is. That's a non-answer, right? In other words, what she's saying is like, uh, uh, I'm fine. Have you ever had somebody ask you, you know, what, what do you need? What do you want? You know, what can I do for you? And you just kind of say, you know, I, I'm fine. I really don't want, I, I really don't need anything. That's, that's what basically she's saying. And of course, we wonder why she's saying this. And part of the reason probably we'll find out why she's saying this is because uh, she's actually a little nervous about sharing maybe what's in her heart. Because one of the things when it comes to a dream, oftentimes, is that uh, it's, it's out there, right? And it's almost like if you speak it and someone laughs at it, or, or, or they begin to rebuke it, or, you know, there's something like you take a risk and even beginning to speak the dream out, uh, and she's in this place where she's like, she can't even really speak it out. She's not even really ready, uh, ready to receive it in any way. Verse 14, what can be done for her? So since she's not going to answer, Elisha says, well, we'll figure out what we can do. And Gehazi said, she has no son, and her husband is old. Uh, I think most of you are old enough to understand what that means, right? Um, then Elisha said, call her. So he called her, and she stood in the doorway. About this time next year, Elisha said, you will hold a son in your arms. Now, the woman, for whatever reason, probably because the, the dream had been delayed for so long, she didn't, she didn't even have the confidence to ask for the very thing that was in her heart. Right? She, she, she didn't have the, 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 the confidence to say to the man of God, you know, there's really something that I would like God to do. She, she had given up probably at this point on the possibility that this could happen in, in her life. And you have to remember that this is a, a very significant thing uh, in this culture and in this time. If you, a woman in this culture in this time, one of the main things that you did in terms of success, if your marriage was a success, is you provided for your husband an heir. And, and if you didn't do that often, it was a very, it was a shameful thing in that culture. Uh, and so women who were not able to have a son, uh, not able to have a child, oftentimes felt like they had failed. Uh, and, and so can you imagine, this is the, the thing that she has been desiring, waiting for, uh, for so long. Somebody hand me a mic so this doesn't pop. Uh, for, uh, waiting for for so long, uh, and it doesn't happen, and month after month after month, thank you, it doesn't happen, and it doesn't happen, and, uh, and finally, she just, just gives up, right? Finally, she just decides, this, it's not worth it, I, and I can't even ask for it anymore. I'm not even going to worry about dreaming it. Uh, and the man of God sees in her heart the very thing that she needs, the very thing that God wants to give to her, and the very thing at the same time that she is so nervous about that she can't even speak out. Now, your dream, and when we're talking about your dream, we're not talking about just your dream. We're talking about God's dream for you and in you. When it's a God-given dream, it's something that's in you so deep, oftentimes that you can't shake it. It's undeniable. It's like God puts it there inside of you, and you go, wow, that's, I don't even know how that could be. It's, it's so big. It's so challenging. There's things in there that maybe I don't want, and yet it's just undeniable. Why? Because God has put it in your heart. The, one of the reasons or one of the ways that we know that uh, we have a God-given dream is that it's bigger than you are. 
It, it re requires resources that you don't have. It requires you, in order to see it fulfilled, to stretch outside of your comfort zone, outside of, of the area where you understand or you know. Oftentimes, a God dream doesn't make all, all the sense, doesn't make sense to you logically, but you just feel it so deeply and so strongly in your heart that you know it's got to come from him. Uh, and that is the very nature of the work of the Lord inside of our hearts. And sometimes we have sat with that dream for so long that we have given up on it. Uh, or we didn't see it happen. We started to ask ourselves, did I miss it? Was I wrong to begin with? Maybe it wasn't a God-given dream. Maybe it was something that I wanted. But it all starts somewhere with God saying to you, planting in your heart, I've got something for you. Right? It could be a business, it could be a skill, it could be education, it could be a ministry, it could be reaching out to people, it could be something for your family, something that you want to do, something you've put in, he put in your heart, and you, and you are at that point where you're seeing it, right? but then you have to decide to move into it. And that's phase two. The second phase of any dream is the decision phase. You actually have to decide to step into it. James chapter 1, verse 6 says this, But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Right? James says, if you're going to move forward, you better move forward. Don't keep you know, doubting yourself. Like Just you know, let your yes be yes, let your no be no. Like go ahead and, and you know, so many times we, we're so double-minded. We're like, well, yes, well, no, maybe, yes, no, uh, maybe, uh, I, I, oh, dang it, you know. And, and, and so James says, no, listen, if God gave you a dream, then you're going to have to step into it. You're going to actually have to say yes, and you're going to have to take steps. And taking those steps forward means that you're not taking other steps and that you're sort of giving up uh, you're right to go back on it. And this is how it is in the story uh, there in verse uh, 16 of Second Kings. About this time, next year, Elisha says to her, you will hold a son in your arms. She says, no, my Lord, she objected. Please, man of God, don't mislead your servant. Now, here we just see revealed, of course, her heart, the pain in her heart, uh, and the shame. And, and she, in this moment of decision, is not even sure that she has it inside of her to reach out for the very thing that she desperately desires, right? Because she does not want to be disappointed again. She has tried. She has failed. She has not seen it. She's waited for years. There's been disappointment. And now no one wants to have the scabs ripped off of the wound again and say, no, actually, this is going to happen. And we've all been in that place at times when we've, we've believed something and it didn't happen. And we, believe, we risked to believe again, it didn't happen again. And we risked again and it didn't happen again. And now we're, it's just better, it's safer, it's more comfortable not to risk again because you're, if you risk again, you're just risking being hurt again. And so we tend to cover our heart and back up. And this is the moment, the, the place that she's at. She's saying, I don't know. I don't, please don't play with me. Don't play with my heart. Don't mess around, you know, with me, Lord, please. And I, and I just want you to know today that God is not a God who is mean-hearted. He doesn't desire to play with us. He's not playing with our emotions. He's a good God that desires to do good things inside of us. But we have to be willing to decide to believe and trust him. 
We have to be willing to take the risk to step into that place that is uncomfortable, that is unknown. We have to be willing to take the risk that says, maybe I might be hurt again or disappointed again, but I trust and know who God is, and so I'm going to receive the difficulty. I'm going to receive the possibility of disappointment. Why? Because it's better to decide to move forward with what God has than for you to sit with what you have. It's always better to step into what God has than to stick with what you have and what you know. And so the decision time in terms of a dream is always a difficult time. And many times we will get stuck right here in this phase and we'll just say, what if, what if I'm embarrassed? What if it doesn't happen? What if I missed God? What if it's not really his dream to begin with and it's just my thing? What if, and instead of moving forward, what if I can't see it through? What if I can't make it? What if I, I get halfway there and I run out of resources? Well, I don't know all the what ifs, but I know that when we're trusting the Lord, it's always worthwhile to say, God, I'm going to step into you. God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to make a decision. I don't know all the answers. I don't have it all figured out. Rarely does God give you all the steps ahead of time. Usually he just says, take the first step. So you have to make a decision. But then, of course, there's a third phase. And the third phase is delay. Now, I want you guys to say delay. Delay. This is my favorite phase. No, I'm just kidding. I hate this phase, right? And yet this is so real for all of us because dreams don't happen without delay as part of the process. Habakkuk says this, the vision is for a future time. It describes the end and it will be fulfilled. If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently for it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. Now, that's an ironic verse because, right, it's talking about now that God's purpose, it's for a future time, it's going to happen, it's going to be fulfilled. But it's, if it seems slow right? If it seems slow, just wait patiently because it's not going to be delayed. You're like, what? what are you talking about? That is the very definition of delay is, is like when I'm having to wait for it. But the truth is, and the reality is, if God is going to do something good in your life, there's a process that you're going to have to walk through in order to experience it. And that process from our perspective always feels like delay, always feels like delay. But from God's perspective, it's not delay. From God's perspective, it's his perfect timing. From God's perspective, he's actually at work. He's doing the things that he needs to do to get you to the, to the place that you need to be. It could be he's working on you. It could be it's working on the things around you. He's moving things around. He's doing things. And from our perspective, we're like, well, God, come on ready, already. Would you just get it over with? Would you just do the thing? Would you just fulfill the dream? And the Lord says, no, I'll do it when you're ready, when I'm ready, when it's the right time. And I'm not delaying. I'm actually doing it at the exactly right time moment because when God is in it, his timing is always, is always right. Back to our story in verse 16, the prophet says to the Shunammite woman, about this time next year, you will hold a son in your arms. Well, there's a nine month delay. That's going to happen if you're going to have a, a baby, right? And so, so can you imagine, well, many of you know that first baby, it just seems those nine months seem eternal. My wife and I, when we uh, had our, our first one, we were expecting our first one, uh, you know, it just seemed like it just took forever, those nine months. I mean, we had the room painted, we had it set up, we had a crib in there. We just, we would sit on the ground in the room and dream about how this little kid was going to come into our lives. It took forever. Now, the next couple of ones were like, when did you show up? 
right? I mean, there was no, it didn't feel like there was any delay, but that experience, right, those nine months can seem so long, then there's a delay, there is a process in every dream that's going to take some time as we step into the thing and, and begin to push into that thing that God wants to do in our life, it's going to require some time, it's going to require for us to wait, and for us to trust, and for us to continue to lean into him. And, and he's always sort of given us the opportunity to, to trust, right? Because in those moments of delay, we tend to give up. In those moments of delay, we tend to doubt. In those moments of delay, we say, well, maybe, this is, maybe I heard God wrong. And, and, and what do we tell our kids? Don't give up too early, right? Don't, don't give up yet. Like, you don't even know. You haven't even tried long enough. Maybe we need to take our own advice sometimes. You know, like maybe we just need to keep, keep going, keep moving, keep trusting, keep waiting because God is at work. Remember, God's dreams are more about him developing you than he is about you doing great things for him. And the delay process is part of the process that he's taking your faith through. Because if you give up too early, then he can't really trust you with the things he wants to do in you because you haven't yet matured and been developed. So the, the, the third phase is, is delay. The fourth phase is difficulty. Somebody say difficulty. Oh, it gets better and better. Difficulty is the next phase that we see oftentimes in God's process of developing our faith and dreams. First Peter 1, uh, verse 6 and 7. Uh, we, we read some of this already, I think. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come, have you ever experienced trials and difficulties? Right? Verse 7, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, which is of greater worth than gold. See, your faith, the development of your faith is of greater worth than gold, of money, of things, of stuff. Like, you, you know, the things that you get in this life are not worth much in eternal weight, but your faith and the development of your faith is worth more than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Difficulty and the process of difficulty in seeing God's dream carry out in your life is part of a, a process of bringing out something beautiful in you. It's refining and changing you. Now, I don't like to be refined and changed. I don't like to be crushed. I don't like to wait. I don't like to go through difficulty. And yet it's always better if God is in it. Back to our story, verse 17. But the woman became pregnant, and the next year about that same time she gave birth to a son, just as Elisha had told her. The child grew, and one day he went out to his father who was with the reapers. He said to his father, my head, my head. His father told the servant, carry him to his mother. Now, this doesn't sound good, right? I mean, here's the dream, the dream fulfilled, the son of promise is here, and suddenly he's got a problem. And, of course, like any guy, he says, well, take him to his mom. Maybe she can figure it out. It's difficulty. It's difficulty, and you're going to encounter difficulty. The thing that looked perfect, the dream that God gave you that was a God-given dream, you know, the, the thing that he promised to give resources to and you were so excited about and it looked like everything was working out suddenly is going to hit some hang-ups. 
There's going to be some difficulty. There's going to be some detours. There's going to be some challenges. And the temptation is always going to be to quit in that moment, to question in that moment, to, to say, man, I, I don't know. It's, it's, and I just want you to know everything good that God has for you is going to be opposed. Everything good that, wants, that, that he wants to do in your life is going to be challenged. And there's going to be difficulty for you to walk through it. Because as you walk through it, he's refining you, he's changing you, he's growing you. And so here's the son of promise, the son that God gives, the dream that God gives through Elisha to the woman uh, who's there. We see him, man, what a joy. Here's this baby, here's this young man, he's growing, and he goes into the field, and suddenly, what? My head, my head, he's going to, oh, well, what do you think's going to happen? It's not going to be good. Because difficulty is not the end. Proverbs 24 says this, verse 10, it says, if you faint in the day of adversity, if you faint in the day of trouble, how small is your strength? So often we just faint way too soon. We just, we've got to stay in the fight, guys. We, we give up too soon. We give up on God. We give up on his process. We, we say, man, all, all signs point to, and we just say, so, well, okay, then, then I just, I've got to pull myself out. And, and oftentimes we pull ourselves out of the race, out of the dream, out of God's hands way before he's done. And we actually remove from him the ability to do the very thing that he wants to do, which is to work inside of us and to fulfill the thing that he gave us in the beginning. Phase five is dead end. Second Corinthians says this, chapter one, says we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. It's Paul again, it's the same verse that we started out with, He's talking about the very thing that God told him to do, the dream that God gave him, the process that he was in. I mean, here Paul, I and mean, Paul healed people, he planted churches, he did powerful things, and yet he's the guy that is seemingly the most beat up. He's shipwrecked, he's whipped, he's beaten, he's stoned. There's so many things that he goes through, and yet he's right in the middle of God's plan. What? Like We, we think that, well, if God's going to give me a dream... Well, then he's going to take care of all the details. It's going to be great, right? He's going to do all the things that he said he was going to do. He's going to give all the resources. Where God leads, he provides. And we have all these little sayings that we say. All those things are true. It just forgets the fact that in the midst of it, you're going to be crushed. You're going to be broken. You're going to be disappointed. There's going to be delays. You're going to have detours. Things are going to not work out. Relationships that you thought were going to work out were not the ones that worked out. And people that you thought were going to be your best friends are not your best friends. And things that you thought were going to be good, they ended up being the worst thing ever. And your money had problems. And your family had problems. And, all, and your health had problems. Hello, you're in God's process. That's part of the process, guys. You might be right on course with him. You might be fulfilling the thing that he gave you to dream to begin with. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy because he is taking you through a process. Back to 2 Kings, verse 20. After the servant had lifted him up, the little boy, and carried him to his mother, the boy sat on her lap until noon, and then he died. Have you ever had a dream die in, in your life? I've had some dreams die in my life. And you just go, ah, uh, what? This, this doesn't make any sense. In that moment, you're just, you start to doubt everything. I want you to watch a story from Josh Cordero. He's a member of our church, 
uh, someone you, you may be familiar with or not, but his story is, is, is incredible and it's, it speaks directly to this. So check this out. Hello, Kononia. It's an honor and a pleasure to be speaking with you today. I'm going to share a little bit about my story with you. In May of 2015, I had what can only be described as a radical supernatural encounter where God spoke to me in the middle of the night and told me to go to New Zealand of all places. I'd never been to New Zealand, had never traveled that far in my life, to go to a very specific place there. Now, he had something there for me. I bought a plane ticket to go to New Zealand by myself to see what God had. And he had something incredible in store there for me, something that was mind-blowing, something that was can only be described as a miracle. And so that very quickly began to open the doors for my wife, Allison, and I to relocate there. And this was huge for us. At the time, we ran a very successful business in the Central Valley. We were both born and raised in this area. All of our friends and family were here. We have a comfortable life here. God's clearly directing us to go to this country. There's some reasons we think he might be doing it, but we're not sure yet. There's not even really job opportunities for this there. But one after another, God's given us these confirmations that telling us to go, to leave California and relocate to New Zealand. And so we both say yes to God. And then we begin to make all the preparations for this. We begin selling all of our belongings. We close down our business. Things are underway and then things get even crazier. We discover that Allison is pregnant. We got a baby on the way in the midst of relocating to another country. And after we announce we're moving to New Zealand, suddenly I get the career opportunity of a lifetime in New Zealand. I'm a freelance filmmaker. It's been a long desire of mine to make a major motion picture. And suddenly that opportunity opens up to make it in New Zealand of all places. How incredible is that? So it seems like because we've said yes to God, because we have surrendered to the calling he's put before us, suddenly all the desires of our heart are being granted and we're excited. So we relocate to New Zealand. Before we completely get settled into our new lives though, we need to finish an immigration process that includes a medical screening, blood work, scans, and those revealed something we did not expect. We discovered Allison had an advanced stage of leukemia while being five months pregnant with Judah. And Allison is faced with the choice to have an abortion so she can receive the life-saving treatment she needs which would destroy the fetus, or wait, to buy our unborn son Judah time. Time so that he can grow enough to be born and have a chance at life. Allison chose to wait. And so we returned to the United States so that Allison could receive treatment. Allison's plan was to beat leukemia and to get discharged from that hospital along with Judah. We would move back to New Zealand, make that movie, have more babies, and live happily ever after. But about six weeks after Judah was born, she died. For me, church, when she died, all my dreams and hopes died with her. We were supposed to do great things together, raise our children together. We went from walking into the fullness of everything we ever wanted, a baby on the way, making a movie together, living in this incredible country to now I'm a widower with a very fragile and sick son. I'm homeless. I can't go back to New Zealand. It's not safe for my son to travel. And I can't go to work because I need to stay home and take care of him. It was like God had presented me with the fullness of everything I'd ever wanted. 
and then took everything away. And I'll tell you, church, for a long time, I hated God. I viewed him as deaf or indifferent to our cries and pleas. I saw what he was capable of. I had heard him speak to me. I had seen him move and do the incredible. And it felt like the person I had loved the most betrayed me. Even in the midst of grieving, Judah had caught in a cold at one point and stopped breathing. We had to do CPR and fly him to Valley Children's Hospital. We lived on lockdown for over a year as his immune system recovered. And I struggled immensely with the thought that this was not the life I was supposed to have. This was not the condition my son was supposed to be. I was not supposed to be a widower, a single dad. This is not at all what I had envisioned for myself. I became a very bitter and angry man. I just saw that I was my worst possible version of myself without God. And one evening I went back and was watching through some old video clips and I saw my late wife looking back at me in one and she was sharing that we as Christians need to be a people who possess so much hope, it's ridiculous. In the video as she speaks, she's reflecting on the circumstance she's in, pregnant with leukemia, the future uncertain. This is what she had to say. I think it'd be so easy in this situation to just spiral downward and we just have to have hope. That's just what we have to cling to. I mean, the alternative is is to just pity, pity myself and just hate the situation that I'm in and that would make things miserable. And so I choose to have hope and I choose to have a good attitude and I choose to fight. I felt like I had every justification to stay in my bitterness and be angry at God and just be a unpleasant person. <laughs> but what good was it gonna do? What good was it going to accomplish? I knew that I needed God again. And so one day at a time, I just chose to start talking to him again, start praying again, start reading his word again. One sometimes agonizing day after another just started running back to him and before I knew it it just felt good to be in his arms again it was almost like this just giving up this this surrendering to it like okay okay I don't get it I want answers that I'm not getting I'm not sure if I trust you right now but I'm choosing to come back to your arms it was a long difficult challenging process but day by day I continued just to choose hope to choose trust and then I began to see grace where I previously thought there had been none. Even in Allison's journey, even in her death, I began to see God's grace where I thought he had not even been present. And God began to move again in my heart, in my life. God began to heal my bleeding heart. He began to soften it again. And I can say this full heartedly because I've lived at church. I know there are plenty of you who are suffering, who are faced with these circumstances of disease, loss, fear, death, and you think God's abandoned you. I've been there, church, and I can promise you, I can tell you full-heartedly, He has not abandoned you. He has not forgotten you. He's with you. He wants you to hope again. He wants you to trust Him. 
one of the most beautiful things about Jesus. He's the only person in all of creation and all of existence that can do this. When you put the pen of your life story in his hands and say, God, I surrender it to you, even what feels like the end, it's just a new beginning. So church, if you feel like dreaming has ended, if you feel like dreaming has died even, I'm here to tell you it's not over. If there's one thing I've learned from my journey, church, is that God is good. Even in our lowest moments, and our lowest seasons, even when everything begins to fall apart around us, God is good. We can always depend on that. We can always trust on that. We can always trust in Him. God's a Father who loves His children with a reckless love that was so deep and so vast, He sent His Son to die for us. So, church, hope. Our God is the author of dreaming. Our God is the author of hope and love and all good things. So church, hope ridiculously and keep on dreaming. Josh was going to be with us today, but uh, they, they have the virus in their house. Um, but he did send his books. And it's a great read. I want to encourage you if, you, if you would like to know the details of the story, it's very well written, surrendering all. Uh, there's a book table in the lobby that you can grab a hold of. Let's look uh, quickly at the, how the story concludes uh, in Second Kings. And the final phase that we're going to look at is a phase called deliverance. Verse 21, she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, then shut the door and went out. She called her husband and said, Please send me one of the servants and a donkey so I can go to the man of God quickly and return. Why go to him today, he asked. It's not the new moon or the Sabbath. And that's all right, she said. She saddled the donkey and said to her, In other words, don't bother me. I'm going to do my business here, sir. All right. Verse 24, she saddled the donkey and said to her servant, Lead on. Don't slow down for me unless I tell you. So she set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. When he saw her in the distance, the man of God said to his servant, Gehazi, look, there's the Shunammite. Run to meet her and ask her, are you all right? Is your husband all right? Is your child all right? Everything is all right, she said. When she reached the man of God at the mountain, she took hold of his feet. Gehazi came over to push her away, but the man of God said, leave her alone. She's in bitter distress, but the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me why. Did I ask you for a son, my Lord, she said? Didn't I tell you don't raise my hopes? Elisha said to Gehazi, tuck your cloak into your belt, take my staff in your hand, and run. Don't greet anyone you meet, and if anyone greets you, do not answer. Lay my staff on the boy's face. But the child's mother said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So he got up and followed her. Gehazi went on ahead, laid the staff on the boy's face, but there was no sound or response. So he went back to meet Elisha and told him the boy has not awakened. When Elisha reached the house, there was the boy lying dead on his couch. He went in, shut the door on the two of them, and prayed to the Lord. Then he got on the bed and lay on the boy, mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hands. As he stretched himself out on him, the boy's body grew warm. Elisha turned away and walked back and forth in the room and then got on the bed and stretched out on him once more. The boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. Elisha summoned Gehazi and said to him, Call the Shunammite. And he did. When she came, he said, Take your son. Psalm 27, verse 13 says this, I'm confident of this, that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I want to tell you that God is good all the time. And he doesn't turn back on his promises. He's going to be faithful to the end. 
and he specializes in taking impossible situations, taking broken dreams, and bringing them back to life. It doesn't always look the way that we want them, want them to look. It doesn't always turn out the way that we expect it's going to turn out. But we know that he is faithful no matter what. And I want to tell you this morning, God's not done with you. Don't give up on him. Don't give up on his plan. Don't give up on the thing that he's put in your heart. Maybe it's time for you today to once again reach out afresh and say, Lord, you know what? I don't understand, and I gave up too soon. Lord, I'm brokenhearted, and I don't know what's going on, but I trust you because he's the one that's always trustworthy. It's always trustworthy. Would you stand to your feet? I want to pray for you. I want to ask the prayer teams to come up this morning because we're going to be available for prayer. I'm over time, so let's just reach out to the Lord. And if you just need to reach out to the Lord, just raise your hands right now. Just close your eyes, Lord Jesus. We just reach out to you. We reach out for help. We reach out for hope. We, we reach out and ask for faith. Once again, Lord, for a rekindling and a renewal, a renewing of our hope and of our hearts. Lord, and I know that in this room there are many who are brokenhearted today. They have had dreams crushed. Uh, they have experienced delays and detours. There's confusion. Lord, so many times we don't understand. But, Lord, in the midst of all of that, we're just stretching out our hands and our lives to you, and we're just asking you, we're saying to you, Lord, we dare to believe that you are still the answer that you're still at work, that you're still taking us through the process. Lord, we trust that you're the one who takes dreams that are even impossibly broken and you're able to restore them. And Lord, I pray that you would give the gift of hope once again, where hope has died in hearts, where people have been detoured and delayed and they've given up in the race. Lord, I just pray that you once again breathe new and fresh life into us. New and fresh life back into places, Lord, where we have long ago given up on the dream that you have given us. Lord, I pray that you would release today new anointing, new giftings, new dreams, new ministries, new callings, new businesses, new ideas, new creativity. In the name of Jesus, you who are the dream giver, Lord, we seek you today and we're just asking you to help us to be strong as we go through the process. Lord, we believe that you are the author and you're the finisher and that you're still at work. So, Lord, help us to follow you well. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen, amen. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed the message, and we hope to see you on a Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m. Visit us online at kchamford.com, and if you want to support our ministry, click Give. Cornelia Church, passion for God, compassion for people.